Well, good morning and welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Chandler and I'm one of the pastors here. And I know what you might be thinking, and no, I am not 16. Um, I am, I graduated, okay? I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm old enough to rent a car, but just barely. Um, so, yeah. As the uh, youth pastor, um, which oftentimes, are one of my favorite things as being a youth pastor is when a parent walks in and they're like, who's in charge here? And I'm like, it's me over here, you passed me. Um, but I just wanna take a second and say, as the youth pastor, uh, I love the fact that I get to lead your students um, two weeks ago, we went on a retreat, and during the staff meeting after our retreat, Amanda Stank, our children's pastor, was like, yeah, it, it was hard to fill in the gaps because of all the students you took uh, on your retreat that serve with here. And that was really cool for me, um, not because I'm like, yes, we're making the church not function when we're gone, but, uh, but because it means that the students uh, that you guys raise, that you're around, that you set an example for, uh, get the mission of the church which is to be a part of making the church happen, to make people feel loved, and ultimately to serve their time so that other people can find and follow Jesus. So, uh, yeah, I just really feel blessed to be the student pastor here, and I feel like uh, your students are making a difference, and you guys are making a difference in the home. So I appreciate uh, you guys for that. Um, I'm excited to get to speak to you guys today because I get to teach you directly out of the Bible, which means that uh, it's not like, hey, what does the 26-year-old have to teach me um, with his life experience? But instead, it's the Bible, uh, and all I'm doing is explaining it. And so if you were with us this morning, I want to catch you up on our current series. Um, the author of this book is James. Uh, there's some good clues to show that. Just look at the top of the book. It'll say it right there. Um, and James is the half-brother of Jesus. So his parents were Joseph and Mary, um, but he wasn't obviously born uh, of the Holy Spirit, so he's a half-brother of Jesus, and he at first rejected Jesus. James criticized Jesus. He's like, look, that guy's my brother. He's nothing special. And then Jesus died, um, was crucified, buried, resurrected, and then James is like, oh, my brother actually is the Messiah, started following him, and from there became a prominent member of the church. Uh, James then writes his book, the book of James, to the church, and what he's doing is he's giving wisdom for the church to follow. And his writing is actually influenced a lot by both Proverbs and the Sermon on the Mount. So his writing style is very similar to that. It's almost as if James is sitting there and this is kind of his, his like last book to the church of going like, hey, let me give you a piece of wisdom to follow. And so it's almost like he's just writing these sticky notes of wisdom of like, oh, and uh, do this and tame your tongue. And, and so he's just putting all these things up there. And that's why it feels like he kind of bounces around with ideas. Uh, and he kind of circles some concepts and comes back to others because it's very similar to this proverb style of writing of just, let me throw some wisdom out there for the church to follow. And our series, Faith Forward, the reason we call it Faith Forward is because James, the wisdom James is giving to the church is supposed to move our faith down the road. It's supposed to, to push our faith forward. And we are in week seven of our series. So if you have missed the previous six weeks, you can go back and watch those on our app or online um, and see the wisdom that James has for us and our faith moving forward. But if you have your Bibles here this morning, we are going to be in James 4, verses 3 through 17. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 3 through 17. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open those up, we'll be reading that in just a second. But before we jump into our passage, what I want to do, and this is actually on your guys' note sheets, uh, so if you see that at the top there, it's three tips for any time you approach your Bible. It's three questions you can ask yourself to help get the most out of the Bible, so that the Bible... Uh, so not just that we're working through the Bible, but the Bible's actually working through us. And these are the three questions. What is the author saying? What does this teach me about God? And how can I apply this to my life? 
So these three questions will help us a lot because a lot of times we don't know exactly what the author's trying to get at. So we're making a point here of what is the author trying to communicate to us? Then we say, what does this teach us about God? What can we understand about who God is and his character from this passage of the Bible passage of the Bible reading, and how can I apply this to my life? How does this impact me and change me on a day-to-day basis? So let's take, for example, the story of David and Goliath. Uh, this is a very well-known story. Uh, maybe some of you haven't heard this, but it's uh, David, who is a shepherd boy, and he comes to Israel to bring food to his brothers and ends up slaying a giant uh, for the uh, Israelite army because they were too scared to fight him themselves. So what is the author telling us? In this story, in David and Goliath, the author is telling a narrative about Israel's history and how David fought on behalf of the Israelites, how the Israelites couldn't do it on their own, so they needed to send a champion who was David to fight Goliath. Uh, What does this teach me about God? This teaches us that God fights our battles and sends a champion to fight for us when we can't fight ourselves. Namely, we can't fight sin and death, and so his champion Jesus fights on our behalf and conquers the battles we can't. And how can I apply this to my life? It gives us a confidence of knowing that when we face problems in this life, that Jesus has already taken on and overcome our biggest problems and our biggest difficulties, and he is with us and for us fighting our battles. And so we take this, what sometimes might just seem like a kid's Sunday school story, and we say it starts to work through our life, through these questions that we can ask. And so that's what we want to do here today in James 4, 13 through 17. Uh, If you have your Bibles, this is what it says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So we get to our first question, which is, what is the author saying? And here's what James is saying as we read this verse in context. It's James is addressing a group of people in the church of that day that was so focused on creating their schedule however they pleased. They're like, yeah, uh, we're going to go into this or that city and do business and, uh, for a year or so. And they had created their plans and they knew exactly what they're going to do next in life without once stopping to consider God without making room in anywhere in their plans for what God wanted to do or how he wanted to move in their lives. And so he's writing to the church because he wants to keep that church and also us from making the mistake of having our whole schedule in life completely planned out and then at the end of it stopping going, oh wait, I haven't made any room for Jesus. Uh, oh yeah, Jesus, um, would you be with my plans so that Jesus is almost like this little, uh, he like can sprinkle his blessing on top. James wants to keep the church from doing that. And he says, instead, let's make Jesus our center. Let's make him our focus when we're looking at our plans and our schedule. It's that we want to put our Jesus lens over our life lens. See, my natural, and I think every human's natural instinct is that we would take we would view Jesus through our life. We'd be like, okay, here's where our life's going. And then, uh, yeah, Jesus, um, we'll assess if things are good or bad. We'll assess how we're going to connect with you or what we're going to do with you. But instead, what James wants to encourage the people with is he says, let's put on our Jesus lens first and have that be how we view the rest of our life, how we view our plans in everything we do. And so the point that Jesus is making is that faith will shift your perspective. Faith will shift your perspective. It will shift the lens that you put on. Now, if, there was, if you've ever met someone who doesn't believe in God, 
And in James, in this church, if, in this society, if there's people who don't believe in God, who is in charge of their plans and their schedule? They are. If, if we don't believe in God, then the person that would be in charge of everything we do and in control of all of our plans would be us. And so what James is doing is he's writing this church and he's saying, let's not act with our plans and our schedule as if there is no God. See, and everyone's got plans. It's not bad to have plans. But in order for your plans to happen, you need tomorrow to happen. And what James is saying here, this perspective shift he offers, is he's like, why? You don't even know if tomorrow will happen. Now, most of us assume that tomorrow will happen with the fact that we woke up yesterday, that we woke up today, that we woke up the day before yesterday, and so on for however long you've been alive. So you have an assumption that you're probably going to wake up tomorrow. But the perspective shift James wants to give is he's saying it is not bad to have plans, but we shouldn't just operate in our life as if everything we're going to do is guaranteed and ignore what God has before us. Instead, we should look at today and go, God, give me the strength and blessing I need to move through today, but let me not ignore you in the fact that in order for my plans to be carried out, I need to trust you for tomorrow to happen. Or as Proverbs 21, 31 says this, it says the horse is made ready for the day of battle but victory rests with the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. See, even here in Proverbs, it's saying that it's not bad to make plans. We make our plans. In this case, they make their battle plans, but they understand that whether they have victory or not is ultimately in God understands and God is aware of that. And the most beautiful thing about the future is it's unknown, which sometimes is the most frustrating part about the future. But what that does for all of us in this room is it allows us, it actually, not even allows us, it kind of forces us to depend on God and to say, I don't know if tomorrow's guaranteed. So God, I need to rely on you. And that's the perspective shift James is giving is let's not treat tomorrow as if it's guaranteed. Instead, we see each day as a blessing and it shifts our perspectives so that we focus on God. So that's number one. What the author is saying is that this will shift your perspective. It'll shift the way you view your life. And what does this teach us about God is that second point, we, that thing we want to ask ourselves. And it teaches us that God's ways are better than our ways. God's ways are better than our ways. Here's the encouraging thing about following God, is that one day, everything will be as it should be. See, love exists because we have free will, right? We still get to make our own decisions. Everyone gets to make their own choices, and so I'm not saying that God is going to control every single action you make, but when everything is done, when it's fully and finally finished, God will bring everything under his authority. And so there is an assurance that we get to put our trust in someone who has ultimate authority and dominion. That doesn't mean that he's going to control every single aspect of your life or he's going to plot your future. No, he still gives you the opportunity to make decisions, but we are putting our trust in someone who has the ultimate authority. It's not like we're just trusting some random guy named Steve who's like, hey, follow my plan. We're trusting the God who is in control and who has ultimate authority and dominion. And not only does God have ultimate dominion, but it's, it's that his ways are so much better than anything humans could dream up or even think of. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 puts it this way. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, or neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I like to think of it this way. Uh, there, there's a funny line where someone said, uh, God's thought and intellect and ways are as high above ours as ours are above a chimpanzee's. 
Um, and it's just a funny way of looking at that, or like God, God's ways are, in the same way my ways are much better than my one-year-old's, uh, God's ways are much better, even further better in that sense than mine. And uh, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a one-year-old, um, and when I ask for parenting advice from Jeremiah or Cherry, I trust their parenting advice. Why? Because they're further down the road and because they have evidence that the way they have parented has worked. Now, in the same sense, uh, we think about that same principle with God. Not only has God further down the road, but he kind of created the road, you know, like he created everything. Um, and then he also has evidence that his way of doing things works. And so when it comes to creating your plants, it's very natural to go, well, what should I do? What's best for me? But if we take a step back and go, we, if we need to trust in someone. We've learned, what James is kind of emphasizing here is that God is, his ways are better than our ways. It's like, he's like, why are you boasting in your arrogant schemes? And he's like, instead, we kind of look to God. We need to trust in the Lord. And so what we do is we say, God, you are so much better at orchestrating this life. You created me and you know what's best for me. Would I not put off uh, or when I, when I not trust in my way of doing things, but would I trust in your way of doing things? Because you have all knowledge, you have all wisdom, and you know what's best for me. And so James, again, it's that temporary life. He's saying, look, when you get to eternity, you're going to wish that you had less regrets of following your own ways and more ways of following Jesus. And so he's saying, trust God and trust that his ways are better than your ways. So then that leaves us with the third question, which is how do I apply this to my life? And the, the core takeaway that I want all of us in here to have, if you remember nothing else today and you walk out of here, the one thing I want you to remember is to remind yourself how temporary this life is. How you can apply this to your life today is to remind yourself how temporary this life is. James says that your life is a mist. Or in the NLT translation, he says that your life is like the morning fog. It stays for a little while and then it's gone by, by midday. I've got this can of Febreze here, um, not because I smell, um, but because I want to show you this is what James is saying your life is. That's it. Look, give it a second. It's gone. And James is making this comparison. He's saying, that's your life. And he's saying, we're spending so much time focusing on this, but he wants you to understand that your life is just temporary. In the same way, when you spray this, it takes a couple seconds for that to be gone. You got every Christmas, every job, every relationship, every friendship, every major life event, every wedding and every holiday is just, and it's gone. You got like, it's like birth, prom, wedding, death. That's like the, the main life events, right? Uh, yeah, you guys know, you're like prom is, it's key. Um, yeah. So this, this is our life. And then like, maybe this is like Betty White's life, you know, and... <laughs> And what we're, doing, what we're doing here is we need to remember that even, even the longer spray, it's just gone. See, and this is the point James wants to make. I, I doubt they had Febreze back then, but James is saying that our life, in the, in the way that we're even talking about our life, before you know it, it'll be gone. And he wants this to shape your perspective because it changes, if you focus on eternity, it changes how you view your life today. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. And, and it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Or to summarize, the people who are most effective in this life are the ones who think about the next the most. And why is that true? 
Think about a high school student that might be stressed out by something that's happening in high school, whether it be grades or sports or a relationship. What comfort do we offer them? We're like, hey, this isn't going to last forever, or this is just temporary, or I promise you it'll get better than this. That high school is not the end-all be-all. I remember being in, uh, in high school and I felt like I was fairly good at math and then I took calculus and I had a D um, and realized I wasn't so good at math uh, in that department. And I remember seeing, I like had all, I had straight A's up to that point. It's like straight A's, straight A's and then D. And I'm like, wow, that is an extreme drop off. And I remember just being so frustrated because I put so much, so much importance in my grades and like what college I was going to go to and do all that stuff. And I remember being like so upset and just like, like throwing the keyboard and crying. And my parents came up to my room and they sat with me and they knew I was upset and they were like, hey, it's okay. There's always community college. And, and uh, you know, it's funny. I, I did actually end up going to community college. But with my parents, my parents, I, they probably actually said something like that because they're very sarcastic. Um, but the joke, what they were offering me is they're like, it doesn't matter if you mess up in high school. It doesn't matter if you get a bad grade. This is not going to determine how your life goes. You're not going to be a failure. You're not going to be a dropout. You're not going to never be successful because you got a D in calculus. And, it, and it's the same principle when we look at our lives with heaven. There's so many legitimate things that we have to be stressed out about. There's difficult things that we walk through as people. But knowing that this life is just temporary, it puts it all in perspective and goes, sometimes I can feel like I'm walking through hell on earth here, but I know that this, if, if I'm with Jesus, that this is the worst it's ever going to get. That, this, that if you have heaven guaranteed, that this life is the worst you're ever going to get. And the flip side of that is if you decide not to walk with Jesus and you're like, I don't need Jesus for eternity, then this life is the best you're ever going to get. And how sad that is. And so it puts everything in perspective. And knowing that our life is just a vapor, it gives us endurance for our trials. To say that I can go through hardship because I know it's only temporary. It gives us patience when we're waiting, when we feel like we're waiting in life. It makes us kind in our relationships because we realize that life's too short to be mean. It gives us hope in the morning and in the loss and in the hardship that we face. It gives us generosity with our possessions because you're like, nah, I can't take this with me anyways. I might as well be generous with it and give away what I can here. And it gives us awareness of our faults of saying, if this life is what sets me up for heaven, then I don't just want to accept all my faults. I want to work on them and improve and become more like Jesus. And there's a particular danger that I, I want to highlight that if we fail to forget that our life is temporary, there's a particular danger that we face. And it's that we put off walking with God for tomorrow. See, the reason this is so dangerous is because we as people, we, we see ourselves as young and healthy most of the time. That's like our natural default. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm young and I'm healthy and we don't really ever think about the end of our days or when we're going to pass away. And that's oftentimes why it's so jarring for people in their 20s because, you know, it's like that's the peak of, of health and life and athleticism and, and we think that we're invincible, uh, me speaking as someone in my 20s. And when we experience loss, it, it all, all of a sudden it, it's jarring and it puts everything in perspective because you're like, whoa, I didn't realize I had to think about what's going to happen after I'm gone and, and that I might not, you know, I'm not guaranteed to make it until I'm 70. And... Um, I was in Florida this last week, um, and there was this sign. We went to a restaurant, and there was a sign that said, free beer tomorrow. And I, just, I, I giggled at the sign, and my wife's like, what's so funny? And I was like, well, if, you know, if I come back tomorrow, that sign is going to say the same thing. It's going to say, 
free beer tomorrow. And if I come back the next day being like, come on, give me my free beer, they're going to be like, oh, look at the sign, free beer tomorrow. And this is what a lot of us do with Jesus. It's like, oh, man, I didn't get to Jesus today, but uh, Jesus, I'll be with you tomorrow. And I do this so often in my life. And then tomorrow comes and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'll be with you tomorrow. And then the next day, Jesus, I'll be with you tomorrow. And it's almost like I have this sign in my life that's like, time with Jesus tomorrow. And the danger here is this, is that we miss the joy and the blessing that walking with God offers today when we put off walking with God tomorrow. And this is why knowing that our life is temporary and having everything put in perspective, this is why it shifts it. Because you go, tomorrow's not guaranteed. I need, I need what God has for me today, today. I can't put it off until tomorrow. I, I already said this, but I have a one-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. My life is in a constant state of chaos. Anyone who knows me, you're like, yeah, that's, or has had kids, you're like, yeah, that's probably true. And so what happens is I know one of the best things I can do for my family is spend 30 minutes every morning with, in prayer with God. Why? Because I believe that in walking with God, it gives me the strength that I need to be a patient father and a loving husband. And Lord knows I need those things because I'm not patient on my own. I'm not very good at uh, just being considerate of Heather and her needs. And so I need to put my life in perspective each morning when I wake up and spend time with Jesus. But what that really more often looks like for me is 15 minutes every Monday morning when I can remember or because I felt bad that I didn't do it the week before. And I bet if, as I say that, there's some of you that are like, yeah, that kind of resonates with me. Like it is in the chaos of life, it is so hard to find time to spend time with Jesus. And the funny thing is I have great justification for it. I'm like, well, I I didn't spend time with Jesus this week, but you know, like I've got young kids and I'm just in a crazy season right now and the kids are sick and this is going on and and I'll I'll get to that when the kids are older. And the problem is I I miss the patience that the kids need from me today by putting it off until they're older, by putting it off when they're older. And what I've done is I've put off walking in step with Jesus for tomorrow. And, and I know the truth to be that my life isn't exactly slowing down. And I need the, the peace, the patience, the rest, the strength that God offers me today. I can't put that off until tomorrow. And, and so often I think I'll get to the end of the day and I'll be like, oh shoot, I didn't pray. And then I'm like, you know what? Uh, well, you know, like I'm just, everything's just so crazy right now. And, and God, like... I can't really afford on 30 minutes of my day to give to you right now. And the truth of the matter is I can't really afford not to give God 30 minutes of my day each day. And I want to encourage you guys with something too, because this isn't supposed to be a guilting. This isn't like shame on you for not spending time with Jesus or shame on you for not doing these things. This is really an invitation. God's not sitting here like, come on, spend time with me. What are you doing? He's not here to make you feel bad. He's not like a principal trying to guilt you for not doing your homework. It's a God inviting you of going, I know what you need for your day. And when you remember how temporary your life is, it shifts your your perspective to go, I don't know if tomorrow's guaranteed. I sure hope it is. I sure hope I have a long life with my kids and my wife, but I don't know if that's guaranteed, but I know that what my kids need from me is patience, is love, is strength, is kindness. And I don't, I don't do that very well on my own. And so I need God in my life each day, each morning to help get me there. And when we remember that our life is temporary, when we realize that, it leads us to this conclusion, that God is more interested in your purpose than in your potential. 
See, we get this perspective shift from James, and what it does when we realize our life is temporary is it shows us that God is more interested in your purpose than in your potential. Let's play a game called, Did These People Reach Their Potential? I'm going to show you a picture of someone on the screen, and you're just going to tell me, um, you can either say it out loud or introverts, you can just nod along, um, whether you think this person reached their potential or not. So, uh, first person, Aaron Rodgers. Did Aaron Rodgers reach his full potential? Some of you were like, Vikings fans are like, no, that guy sucks. Um, but... So I would say, I would argue that Aaron Rodgers has reached his potential. Now, sure, he could, maybe he's fallen a little bit short, but the dude is one of the most successful quarterbacks to enter the NFL. And I'm sure there's times he could have gotten more Super Bowls and things like that, but had a pretty successful career. Okay, next picture. Robin Williams, did he reach his full potential? I'd say so. Maybe. I mean, sure, he, his life was cut short, but he was one of the most successful actors to ever be in the acting industry. He, ran, he won all kinds of awards, and as far as acting goes, I don't think there's a lot of higher accolades or potential that you could get than Robin Williams. Next person, Tom Brady, oh, Taylor Swift. That means Tom Brady's coming up. Um, Taylor Swift is, uh, did she reach her potential? Yeah, she's still working towards it, but I, I'd say for her age, has had one of the most successful careers of all time. I mean, in 10 years, she's won more awards than people three times her age. And, and just her career and her success, and as far as music goes, uh, you can't get much more successful than she is. Anything she touches turns to gold, or platinum in that, in that case. Uh, next, Tom, uh, Aaron Rodgers again. Jeff Bezos. Um, did he reach his potential? Yeah, he sure did. He turned a small online book company into one of the most successful companies to ever be, just period. It's like a company that comes constantly to our door, especially around this time in Christmas season. It's like, you're like, they're there in the morning and at night. Amazon's always there for us. But it, it's funny because we look at him and he has turned this company into success. Uh, Tom Brady was one of the other pictures. Uh, Tom Brady won seven Super Bowls, reached his potential. But we look at all these people and I want to ask kind of a sobering question. Are these people satisfied? No. Every single one of these people is chasing more. And it's funny because some of us are like, have we reached the potential? And it's like, as far as the industry goes, yeah, probably. But all these people are like, it's not enough. Taylor Swift is not satisfied. She keeps needing to, to chase the next endeavor, the next platinum album. Tom Brady is, I mean, literally left his family behind in order that he could go and chase what? It's like, dude, what do you, what do you have left to prove? You've done it. And you did more than anyone else probably will ever again. And we look at all these people in their life and, and they're chasing what seems like the world's version of potential. And, I, and I'm going to be honest, if my kids were even a fraction as successful as those people on there, I feel like I'd be like, way to go. I did a pretty good job parenting if they're that successful. But we look at their lives and these people are not satisfied because they spent their whole life chasing their potential. And we as human beings aren't meant to spend our time chasing our potential. See, because this is what a lot, for a lot of us, this is what it looks like. It's, well, it's not enough for me to get good grades and go to college. I need to be the valedictorian and I need to go to the best college. I can't just play sports for fun and camaraderie. No, I need to be in clubs and I need to make my shot at going pro. Or I can't just have a job that pays the bills and live a full life. No, I need to be wealthy. I need to have a nice house, a nice car, and I need to be recognized for my success and accolades in my work. And we live in a society that is exhausted by the illusion of chasing our full potential. That we just need to keep doing more. 
that we just need to keep doing more, that, that even if you've, even what you've done feels like enough, it's still not enough because you've got to keep chasing and you've got to keep doing more. And my favorite movie is uh, The Greatest Showman, and there's a line in the song, From Now On, and it says, for years and years, I chased their cheers at the crazy speed of always needing more. And that's the problem when we chase our potential, is we're so fixated on like, I just got to get the next thing. I just got to get the next thing. And I can remember, uh, I, I still struggle with this today, but as an intern, um, I, I, a couple years ago, I was an intern, and I remember working at my church, and I was like, I want to be the best intern that's ever interned at this church. I want to make a bigger difference than anyone else has before me. So I became obsessed with just constantly doing whatever I could. I, was at, I ran large events. I was at the church office every day uh, for longer than I needed to be into the night because I'm like, I'm just going to make sure people always see me around and make sure I'm here. I was writing devos, I was, I was meeting with students, I was doing all this stuff, and I would sit there and I'd be like, I still feel like it's not enough. And I remember just constantly that year talking about like, is this, I haven't reached my potential, like, I feel like I can do more, I can do more. And my pastor and mentor at the time just said these words to me that have never rung more true in my life. He said, you talk so much about reaching your potential, but that's an impossible and exhausting pursuit. He said, God doesn't care about your potential, he cares about your purpose. And I just felt like this like, I feel like this gut punch, but then also this like huge weight lifted off my life. And that's so true for us today is God doesn't care about you reaching your potential because it's an impossible pursuit and it's exhausting. He wants you to live in your purpose. So what is our purpose? Well, this is, Jesus gives all people who follow him purpose in Matthew 28, 18. And this is what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you as surely as I am with you to the very end of the age. See, our purpose is this, that we would spend our days knowing and worshiping Jesus and then helping other people find and follow him. That's why at Westbridge Church, our mission statement is people helping people find and follow Jesus because that's our purpose. We want you guys to know that when you come in here each week, as long as you are helping other people find and follow Jesus, you are living in your purpose. And you can take a deep sigh of relief that you don't need to keep chasing your potential if you're living in your purpose. There's an old uh, Tim McGraw song. I'm sure you guys, many of you have heard it. It's uh, Live Like You Were Dying. And uh, it's kind of this idea of like living in perspective and not chasing uh, your purpose and potential. But the guy that's talking to Tim McGraw says, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, and I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. He said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. And I wonder if all of us in here actually did that. The reason we love that song is because we all imagine if we were given a, a death date where it's like, you're going to know that you're, you only have a year left to live, how would that change our day to day? Would it shift our perspective of going, I need to, I need to keep chasing all this stuff. And it's like, well, I'm not going to chase if I only have a year left. Instead, I want to make a difference in the, in the lives of the people around me. I want to focus on how I am as a person and how I am as a father and a husband. And, and I want to I clarify one thing real quick. I'm not saying it's bad to be a diligent worker. And sometimes actually being a good coworker, being a good uh, teammate, a good boss, a good whatever it be, whatever facet you play, um, that's actually one of the best ways people can know Jesus. So don't hear me saying like, whatever, just, you know, like phone it in at work and love people. You know, that's not what I'm saying here. It's more a call that uh, our first priority, what drives us should be that we want to make other people feel loved and we're not 
chasing after trying to be the best that's ever been because that's an exhausting pursuit and chasing our potential creates so much insecurity in us but living out of our purpose and following God gives us so much security and knowing who we are and what we're made to do. And the final perspective shift that knowing that our life is just a miss does for us is that we need to do what's right today. We need to do what's right today. Uh, James says, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. You can go ahead and leave that verse up here. But the reason I love this verse so much is because James is even a little bit stronger than I would say, but he's like, if you guys know the good things in your life and we ignore them and we put them off, he actually calls it sin for us. And, and as people, we live in a world, but we, are, we do not belong to this world. Peter says in his book that we are citizens of heaven, which means that our actions should be influenced more by our heavenly citizenship and by our heavenly kingdom than by our earthly one. And in this world, there's very, there's very rarely neutral actions. See, this is called faith forward. And the truth is your faith is oftentimes either being moved forward or backwards. There's not often a lot of neutral ground. And so we are either changing the world around us by bringing this culture, this, this citizenship of heaven, we are bringing this culture around us, or a lot of times what's happening is we are being changed by the world. And what it means to do the good actions that are for you today, to do the good they ought to do today, means that we are going to make an active decision not to put off the good for either someone else or for tomorrow, but that we say, if there are good things that need to be done today, then I will, I will get them accomplished today. I'll make a difference, I'll make an impact, I'll make the right choice today. And oftentimes, doing the right thing is very difficult. It might look like this. Doing the right thing might mean that uh, being honest in business or on your taxes might cost you financially. That might be the right thing for you, just being honest in some of these areas. Or it might mean standing by convictions, even if they're unpopular, especially in a society that we live in today. It might mean caring for others, even if it's inconvenient, You might have to go out of your way or it might be a hiccup in your day to care for other people, but that's the right thing for us to do today. It might mean confessing or apologizing, even if it brings embarrassment to you. Or it might mean forgiving, even if it hurts. And see, doing the right thing is oftentimes really difficult. Rarely is doing the right thing the easy thing to do. But here's what happens. When we do the right thing, we slowly start spreading the kingdom of God here on earth. We start bringing heaven all around us. And there's nothing more important in this life than you having a personal relationship with Jesus. And so as a Christians, if we really believe that, if we believe that there's nothing better you can do in your life than have a personal relationship with Jesus, then we need to, to do the good actions that are before us today because there is a world out there that doesn't know Jesus. And again, it is our mission statement. Our, our perspective has been shifted and we need to help people find and follow Jesus today. We need to do good actions today. We don't want to put that off for tomorrow. If you're truly a mist, just, it's just a temporary, your life is just, you just spray and it's gone, just a spritz of, uh, spritz of Febreze, then, then doing, then having your life centered around something other than Jesus isn't gonna set you up for success in the life after this one. It's bringing everything into perspective and go, God, shape my plans. Would you be what guides and navigates me? See, in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to the people about storing up treasures in heaven. And what he's saying is he's like, this is not your final destination. This is not your home. 
And as Christians, we can't delay doing the good until tomorrow. We can't delay doing good until tomorrow because the world is actively working to keep people from Jesus today. We step up and say, is there good for me to do today? Then I will go out and do it. And there is a world out there that needs a savior. And if you're a follower of Jesus here in this room, you have the fortunate gift of knowing him. And Jesus is waiting for every single one of his children to come to know him. And when we do the good actions before us today, we are participating in the process of allowing God to get the attention of his children. We're bringing heaven in session today. And the last, uh, there's some people in here today that I want to talk to. Maybe, maybe you've come to church, a friend invited, and you're like, you know what, I'll check this whole church thing out. If you didn't like the message today, don't worry. Jeremiah normally speaks in here, so uh, you'll get him back to your Zoomed programming. But if you are a first-time guest in here today, and maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you haven't been following with him or you've been delaying following him, you're like, oh, I'll get to that later when my life's more in order. I want to promise you that, that this that's gone today is not worth an eternity with a loving and caring father who wants you to know him, who wants to know you personally by name and wants to spend eternity with you. See, Jesus invited, he invited people and his followers invited people. They said, come and see. They're like, you don't, you don't know God? Just come and see. Just come and see that he is good. And that is the encouragement I want to give to you today. If you're like, I don't know if, if it's worth trading this miss for eternity in heaven. I don't know anything about this, God. I just encourage you, come and see because there's a room full of people in here who have come and see, to, they have came in to see Jesus and it's made all the difference in their life. It's made a huge impact. And we would never trade a, a, the rest of our life here on earth for something as simple as a candy bar. And I want to keep us from trading this mist for eternity with a loving father. And it's hard because we don't, we're not in eternity yet but to bring to the forefront of our mind that remembering that this life is just temporary will put things in perspective and we'll say, God, you at the center of it all. So if you're in here today and you haven't, been, you haven't followed Jesus, but you want to make that decision today, you're like, you know what? Life is temporary. I don't know how many days I have left and I want to trust the author of everything with my life. I want to be with him for eternity. Then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me today. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for the fact that you remind us how fleeting our life is, how temporary we are as people. And God, a lot of times we walk around as if we are permanent, as if we're going to be here forever, but we get verses like this that just draw our attention back to the fact that we are just temporary beings. And God, every one of us in here today wants to make the conscious decision, would you be with us as we make the decision to put you first? to say that this life is fleeting and we would trade everything in this life if it means getting to follow you forever. And for those of us that are following you in here, God, would you just give us a reminder that our job is to help other people find and follow you. We love you and we thank you so much for being someone we can trust through the temporary nature of this life. We praise things in your name. Amen.